Um, it's good to be with everybody. Really thankful. Uh, it's good to have some visitors. Uh, it's good to meet Miss Whitley, and uh, good to have her here. It's good to have Bill, Michelle, and uh, Buddy Benji over here as well. Um, always good to see them. Um, really sorry for uh, the loss uh, of your father, Michelle. And you know, we prayed for you this morning. We're going to keep praying for you because we know there's there's more that probably needs to be worked out. And if nothing else. Uh, things like this weigh heavy on um, on all of us, so you're not alone in that. Um, although there might be times where you feel alone, there might be times where you feel like it's a burden. It's not a burden. Uh, that's what that's what we do as family. Um, whether you're family at this church or not, we're part of God's family. We want to share in heartache. We want to share in times of rejoicing as well. So it's good to be able to to share with each other, and so um, we want to do that with you. So. Also, there are some things that seem a little different today uh, when it comes to Zoom. Uh, apparently, they made an update. Uh, I guess they kept their word, and they said that either you have to have a password for the meeting or there will be a waiting room imposed. Uh, and I'd forgotten that they said that because they said that like three months ago, and it seems like they meant that. And um, so right now, there's, there's the waiting room. Sorry if you're at home, and it was a little bit of a delay for you to get into the, to the meeting to worship with us. Um, sorry about that, but we'll... We'll probably we'll just have to start putting passwords on because they're making us do that. And I'm sure they'll say it's for our benefit and uh, that's okay. We'll, we'll do that, but we'll send out all the information, the updated information for next week. So anyway, sorry for some of that, some of those issues, but we got it worked out. Everything seems to work out. So I want to turn to second Timothy chapter two today. And what I want to talk about is what Paul tells Timothy in second Timothy two, as he is encouraging him, as he is, I guess, stirring him up to be maybe not necessarily more faithful, although that is one of his goals, but he's really just trying to help him be more steadfast, more immovable, and really abounding in the work of the Lord, especially with what Timothy is responsible for. See, Timothy is going to be going, he's going to be teaching other people. He's going to be raising other people up that will be teachers and preachers, and he's trying to help there be uh, more equipped church leaders and things like that. But there are some things that Paul tells Timothy that are not only unique for Timothy. It's really just in general, he's telling him how to keep going and how to make it through all the difficult things that, that life and that his situation uh, are going to kind of throw at him. So what I want to do is I want to read 2 Timothy 2, beginning of verse 1, through, and we'll go through verse 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first, to sh first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We're pretty comfortable with verse five, I think, where it says that the athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We like the idea, or most of us at least like the idea of thinking about athletics and like, yeah, you gotta compete according to the rules if you're actually gonna win, if you're gonna be crowned. And sometimes we've seen in our lifetimes where people were crowned and then the crown was taken away from them because they cheated in some way, right? And then we see the farmer analogy in verse six. And that's pretty familiar for us, maybe not because we, our farmers ourselves, but 
Jesus talked a lot about farming. He talked a lot about uh, crops and plants and trees and things like that. So this is not that uncommon. And it also makes sense to us that, well, if you're actually a hardworking farmer instead of some lazy, no good farmer, uh, yeah, you ought to share the best of what you grow. And really, if, if you're a farmer and you're not putting the work in and you're not very good because you just are lazy, you shouldn't have any share of anything. I mean, you, you should just, you know, look out on your field and see nothing, really. And we, we think that that is fair, and so that makes sense to us. I want to talk about verse 3 and 4, though, primarily today. And I want to talk about it because I think the idea of being a soldier, although we just finished a class on the armor of God from Ephesians, I think the idea of being a soldier is something that we understand, but maybe I don't really get. And there's something here that he says in verse 4 that is pretty impactful, and I think it does change our view of our lives as Christians. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to mainly look at verses 3 and 4. So I kind of want to break down the, the verse just a little bit. So we're going to talk about getting entangled in civilian pursuits, and I'm sorry you guys can't see that. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about, and we, we're going to try to define what some, what the idea of civilian pursuits are. I might list out some that I think are civilian pursuits, but the idea of, of it being just a civilian pursuit is that it is a little bit unique to the person. I, I mean, that, that's just kind of what comes along with some of this. Like, your interest can be your own individual pursuit, and that could be something that is a civilian pursuit for you. But that might not be for me at all. So let's look at what he says here. The first thing he says that I want to point out is that he says that the, the soldier's aim is to please the one who enlisted him. See, we chose to enlist in God's army, but he did call us. And I think it's interesting that we were enlisted, which means we had a recruiter. Um, and that means that to me, it seems like Jesus is kind of the recruiter for all of us, where he's the one that made the, the plea. He's the one that made the, it clear what he was wanting us to be part of. And he chose to enlist in his army. We chose to be considered a child of God for him to be our father, but also for God to be our commander, our chief, captain, whatever you want to look at, goes for Jesus to be our king. And that means that we're in his army. That means we need to be good soldiers. So our aim is to please him, not to please ourselves, not to please the commander of another army, not to, not to please anybody else other than the one that's in charge, other than the one that, that has enlisted us into his army. The other thing I want to point out is that he says that we need to share in suffering as a good soldier. So this is actually just part of our service. If you actually go over to chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, I'll read from verses 11 through 13. Paul says, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So he's gone through so much, and some of it was just kind of like life where he was shipwrecked and things like that. Other things were actually forced persecutions and sufferings, and he says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So this idea of sharing the sufferings is not comfortable, but it should be familiar. It should be expected of us. But again, we're the ones that enlisted into the Lord's army. Another aspect of the sharing and sufferings is not just sharing sufferings as in we need to suffer as well because we are in Christ. But if you go back actually to chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, 
look at verse 8. He says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Then you go down to verse 16, and he says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So there's another aspect of the sharing and suffering, and it's this sharing and suffering with other people that are soldiers with us. Other people that are fellow Christians, we share in their sufferings by not being ashamed of them, by continuing to say that we are with them, showing we are with them by trying to refresh them, lift them up as they are suffering and going through difficulties. So that's another aspect of the sharing in sufferings as soldiers that we need to think about. So we know that athletes must follow the rules. Well, I think that that's also, although he's changing the metaphor, that's part of this whole thing about not getting entangled in civilian pursuits. There's rules, there's regulations, there's a certain pattern that athletes have to fit within or else they will not win. They will not be allowed to compete potentially. Well, as soldiers, as people of God's army, there is a certain mold and there is a certain uniform that we must follow, not just put on, but follow. Or else we're not fit to be in the Lord's army. We must be dedicated to our work and our service. I mean, think about the hardworking farmer. Well, it's not just the farmer that needs to be hardworking, dedicated. We need to do that as well as part of God's, God's army. So that means we don't have time for civilian things. You know, it's worth some people's time. It doesn't mean it's terrible things, but it's not worth our time. And that sounds kind of pretentious a little bit to say that's not worth my time. But we make decisions all the time based on what we think and what we deem is valuable to us and how we use our time. We even see in Acts that there was at one point where the apostle said, we shouldn't be the ones to deal with the, this issue of the widows that are, being, that are being overlooked. Not that that's not a needed thing, a valuable thing, but we need to be doing this, so we'll make sure that this gets done by some other people. So that's not that uncommon for us to think about that. When we think about our lives as Christians, do we recognize that there are some things that are not worth our time because we have more important things to be focused on? Um, and some people think that the way I spend my time is ridiculous in some ways, and I think the way they spend their time is ridiculous in some ways. And there's some variance there where that's okay. However, we must always be dedicated and hardworking, like the farmer, where we are focused on the things that are part of our goal and part of our mission as soldiers. The last thing I want to point out from, the, from this passage that I don't know if I fully understand, and I think it's a good thing I don't fully understand, because he says that the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So what does it look like to not get entangled in civilian pursuits? I think he's saying that the Lord will give understanding in that. How can we know if we are entangled in civilian pursuits? I think in some ways saying that the Lord will help us understand that. And maybe he already has through his word, or maybe it's something that we can just see play out in our life, and then we can assess it and say, this is not okay. Like, the athlete should know if he is breaking the rules. But what if he doesn't? Well, he's given more understanding, and then he has to change, or he's got to get out of the competition. Does the farmer realize all the time that he might be coming up short with his, how diligent he is in work? Probably not, but as soon as he sees the crops are starting to falter and it's not looking good out in the garden, well, and then he knows he needs to put more work in. He needs to change something up. I think it's probably the same for us. When we think about being part of God's army, we think about being soldiers and children of God. 
we can assess our dedication to him and we can assess how much we are focused on what we need to be focused on. Not just by looking at a scripture and saying, oh, see, it says right there, but also seeing about seeing our hearts and see how our lives play out. And I think the Lord helps us understand those things. So what gets in the way of us being good soldiers? Well, it's the entanglements of civilian pursuits. So let's talk about some of those things. Civilian pursuits can take many forms. In fact, if we go over to chapter 3, one of the things he says when we get to verse 9 is that it can be terrible things even. It can be ungodliness. In 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. From, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So what are some of the things that could be civilian pursuits? It could be a lot of ungodliness and sin. It could be things that at one point we say, that's awful, that's terrible, that's not what we need to be about. But then because of some other teaching or because of just our own desires, it changes us a little bit. And we don't realize that these are civilian pursuits, that they're beneath us. They're beneath us because we should, we should have never been about these things, but the truth is we didn't know it. Now that we know it, we don't want to have anything to do with those things. Some other civilian pursuits could be things that are good things. They could be things that, that benefit us but not Christ. Let's go back to in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, and we haven't read these verses yet. If you look at verse 16, he says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk was spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So there are silly controversies and speculations that they engage our minds and they intrigue us, but they're not of Christ. They're not benefiting the body of Christ. And in fact, they can be things that lead to ungodliness. So he's, he says to avoid those things. And if you notice what these two people, Hymenaeus and Philetus, I don't know what it is that they got engaged in or what they started talking about and what the babble was or the controversy was for them. But it got to the point where they actually said the resurrection's already happened. Like it changed their belief. It changed the fundamental belief of their faith because of this silly talk. That sounds crazy to me. But then I think about the things that get in my head that I hear other people say or that I just start thinking and if you let let it fester long enough it can change everything about even the very foundation of your faith so something we need to be careful of because the entanglements affect and engage our hearts they don't just they don't just like engage our minds where we ponder it these are things that really get in our hearts and they affect us let's go back to mark chapter 4 if you want to hold your place in 2 Timothy, we're going to come back there. But in Mark 4, I want to notice something that maybe everybody in here and everybody at home already understands and they remember. 
You might even be thinking, well, I knew exactly where you were going to go. But I want to look as Jesus explains the parable of the sower in Mark 4. And I want to begin in verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately they fall away. All right, so far, you've seen the influence of Satan. We've already talked about persecutions and tribulation. Well, we know that's something we need to be ready for. We don't need to be like the rocky ground. Now verse 18. Others are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word out, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. I think this is interesting because the entanglements of civilian pursuits sure sounds like the thorns that choke out the word to me. And there's three different categories. He says that they are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. In just a second, I, I want to talk about those a little bit more specifically. But I came across this, this story, and it was just a very quick example, not that long ago. It was a couple weeks ago. And the point that the person was trying to make was, what does it look like to be entangled in civilian pursuits? So this helped me. Maybe it'll help you. Um, apparently, there was a man in the Civil War. Let's just say hypothetically, there was a man in the Civil War who also fixed watches as his trade. So it's like probably something he did before he was a soldier, but now he's a soldier in the Civil War. And so while he is stationed in certain places, well, he's at a location for a period of time, he goes into the town, he gets the watches that need to be fixed, because why not? I mean, that's, that's what he knows. That's what he knows how to do. It's helpful to them. It's helpful for him. He gets a little bit extra change in his pocket, potentially. Maybe he even did it for free. What a great guy. I mean, it could be the most amazing picture you can paint about how wonderful he is. He's just helping, doing this thing on the side. And it's just watches. Not a big deal. But one day, the bugle sounds, and he has to head out. And he's left with a dozen watches that still need repairing. So what does he do? Like, he has to leave right then. Is he going to steal their watches? <laughs> now he's a thief, a watchmaker, a soldier, and a thief. Does he leave the watches there and just hope that one day they find the watches? Well, or does he run back into town, give the watches back and apologize, maybe give the money back or, that he had already taken, and then maybe he has to book it to get back over to camp so he can head out with the rest of his soldiers? It's cutting it close. Or does he say, I just feel bad. I gave these people my word. I don't really know what to do. I got, okay, I, I, I think I can do it. I think I can fix these watches, okay? We have two hours, okay? I can fix all these watches and get it back to them and make it. You see the, the battle there? Like, he should never feel that conflicted about his service as a soldier. He should have never gotten to the point where he didn't know what to do. He should have never gotten to the point where he tried to balance these things out that have nothing to do with each other. It doesn't mean it was wrong to, be, to fix watches. It doesn't mean it's wrong to help people. But you know you've overstepped your bounds, and you know you've gone too far 
the moment that you feel that inward battle and then you start compromising the thing that you know is more important for the thing that you just feel like you should do as well. He knows he needs to go out with his soldiers, to his fellow soldiers. He knows what he signed up for. He knows that's part of his responsibility, and it's the greatest responsibility that he could have. But he just feels this pull. That, that's how we can get to. The problem is when we're now in a conflict and we're trying to decide or balance things out, and we realize we start compromising. And, and that's a proof that we have no business getting wrapped up in those things to that degree. It doesn't mean that those things are wrong, but they were wrong for us to that degree. It happens, though. And we need to be able to notice when that happens, and we need to make changes. And it's not a problem of just how I spend my time only. It's a heart problem. That's what these entanglements do. These entanglements engage and affect our heart. So let's do a little self-assessment for handling civilian pursuits. So I just have, I guess it's four questions. And I'm just going to leave these things up here for a little bit. I'm going to pause between each one. I have a few comments to make after each one, but I, I just really want us all to think about these things. So the first question is, what are the worldly sinful things that are true desires for you? Like they're no brainers that they're wrong. We know they're wrong, but we still have this appeal. They have an appeal to us. Well, those are desires for other things. Those are things that are outside of Christ. Those are things that should have nothing, no part in our life. But maybe because of how we used to live our life or what we used to be engaged in, they just have this appeal. We need to be honest with ourselves and say those are sinful, those are wrong. They need to be away from us. Those desires need to be suppressed and put away because they're very clearly worldly and sinful. And we're not worldly anymore. And we're striving to not be sinful people anymore. Second question, do you have some earthly good things that you care a lot about? Maybe it's as simple as caring about a sports team too much. It depends on which sports team, but that could be a good thing. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that until you let that passion control other things in your life. Those are good things. They're not spiritual things, but they're good things. It could be your job that provides money for you and your family. A lot of people make a lot of compromises within their family because of their job. And they say, I just have to. Trust me, it's for our own good, things like that. It can be as noble as fighting for Christian principles to be promoted. But then we pull away from our brethren, talk bad about each other. And we don't agree with each other, and so we separate ourselves because we don't agree. And there are lines where some of these things cross over to what the gospel teaches, and that's what we need to promote. We need to involve ourselves in those things. But when it's not something that the gospel teaches and it doesn't cross over into something that is very clearly part of the kingdom, we need to be careful. And I hope you understand that when I talk about being as noble as fighting for Christian principles to be promoted, I was vague enough because that is on both sides of whatever line you are drawing in your own head. If you think it's something that is, is a good thing, just be careful that it's not becoming a care of the world and you're trying to actually just promote something that you see is a, just a good thing. Because although that has its place and you can spend time doing that, 
The moment you feel this battle of pulling away from brethren or being divisive among brethren, that's one sign that you just know you've gone too far. You know you're entangled in something that you shouldn't have been entangled in. How about the third one? How are you protecting yourself from the deception of riches? It's things that benefit ourselves in, these li- in this life. Is it because you just say, well, I won't have anything? Well, I guarantee you that's not really going to work for very long because <laughs> the riches will pop up and they are deceptive. Or maybe you just convince yourselves that, well, I, this is all a means to an end, means to an end and it's all about making this life a little bit better because we only have one life to live. That's the deceitfulness of riches. So the last question that I have is, have you let desires, cares, and riches change your beliefs? That's a hard one to answer, I think. I used this example the other day, and it was kind of spur of the moment. And I want to use it today, not because I was like, oh, man, this is amazing, but just it's the best I could come up with. Think of someone in the days of Paul and Timothy that would have been sacrificing to idols, other gods. They offer praise and gifts, and they spend time before this false god hoping for whatever it is, right? Let's say today we're, we had, let's say yesterday we had like offered sacrifice to the sun god, the sunshine god, uh, the cloudless day god, right? And we're just like, oh, this is amazing. I think there are clouds in the sky, but let's just say that it worked and there were no clouds in the sky, all sunshine, everything's great. It doesn't get above 80 though, because that, that's the type of God that I want to serve. <laughs> but what if it doesn't happen the way we wanted? What if today it was gloomy, there were clouds everywhere, it was overcast, it looked like Seattle. Richard would want to leave. He'd be like, I'm staying home today. I don't want to get out of the house. What do we do when things don't happen the way we want? The, thing, the way that we spend our time and we invest in these things, what would we do if that was the idol and that was the God that we were serving? Would we question that God? Would we get mad and say, maybe we would say, I'm going to do this again, but it better happen eventually or else. Or what if we knew that there was someone else that was sacrificing to the rain God and the cloud God? Would we say, why are they stupid people? Don't they know that this is benefits me? And it's a good thing. I need this for my employment or I need this for my family or whatever. And they're sitting over there offering sacrifices to another God and to another idol saying, well, this is what I need for my family. This is good for me and my work. So what we do is we just divide ourselves. We get mad at each other. We blame the other people. And maybe eventually we just turn to the God that we're serving. We just say, you don't, you don't care, do you? You don't work. This isn't working out. I want to find another way of doing this. I'll just do it myself. I wonder if that's something that we can do as well. I mean, Richard mentioned the election. Are we counting on something to happen? Are we putting trust in everyone else around us that a certain thing's going to happen? And if it doesn't, well, I guess I'll be okay. But deep down, like we have some signs in our life that are saying that if something doesn't go my way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to blame the people around that are doing something a little different than me, but then I'm also going to turn to God because I'm trusting him. This will happen. And it's a good thing. And we need this. So then we say, well, forget it. I guess this doesn't work. God, I trusted you. You said that you were in control. Well, 
if you're in control of this, then I don't believe in you because this seems out of control. So what that proves is that that thing was your God the whole time. That thing that you were hoping for was an idol for you. It doesn't reflect poorly on God. It reflects poorly on what you've made your God. Because the person that cared about the rain, the rain was actually their God. It wasn't about the sacrifice to the God. It was about the outcome, not about the sacrifice and the worship and praise. And we just can't approach God that way. We can't think about God that way. We can't think about each other that way. We have to realize that sometimes these things in this world can change our beliefs. It can change our faith. It made a couple people say that the resurrection had already happened in the days of Paul and Timothy, which it sounds just ridiculous to me. But that's how much we can compromise our beliefs. At one point, it can sound ridiculous and then, you know, give it some time. And it can be like, well, this is just how I think now. So let's talk about what we can do as good soldiers. What do we need to do to not get entangled in civilian pursuits? We need to remember our commitment to the king. He's the one that we are serving. We put our trust in him. And if he was worth putting your trust in yesterday, he's worth putting your trust in tomorrow. He's the one that was raised from the dead. He's the one that offered up himself for you. Just remember your commitment to him. And if you're willing to suffer, then you'll give up all other pursuits. You see, the fact that we have to share in sufferings, that we know we need to suffer, this is just part of it. The fact that Paul and others make that very clear in the New Testament, we should be willing to give up other pursuits. But maybe that's a sign that we're not really willing to suffer, if we're not willing to give up those pursuits. We need to sacrifice for our fellow soldiers. And I can't tell you exactly what that looks like in every situation, but I can tell you a couple of things. What that looks like is not that you have to match their passion for everything they care about, but you need to understand what they care about and you need to try to sympathize. And then when it's, when it's appropriate, you need to lock arms with them and stand with them because they don't need to feel alone, but also they're fighting next to you the same spiritual battle. So stand with them. Stand with the things that are difficult for them in their hearts to overcome. We sacrifice for each other. The fourth thing that we can do and should do is that we focus on pleasing Christ, our commander. So it's not just the commitment. Now we focus on pleasing. Our aim is to please the one that enlisted us. And he's told us how to please him. Maybe one verse that I think I've mentioned a lot that is just the easiest verse in the world for me to remember. I hope that I memorize it all the way until I'm in my 80s or 90s or however long God lets me live. And that's just when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Like when I was a teenager, that was the easiest verse for me to remember. And as I've gotten older, that verse means something different now. Because at one point it was just like, I better do exactly what he says. And now I feel that way, but now I feel like I actually don't need to do that only to show my love. I need to also do it out of love. Like it shows my love. So focus on pleasing Christ. Take your instructions from him. Aim to please him. And the last thing is trust God as you examine your service. Because what Paul says is that the Lord will give understanding in these things. I want to give just one more verse that I think will be encouraging for us as we wrap up. And that's in 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. And let's just go back to verse 6. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all to have loved his appearing, who have loved his appearing. We suffer, we fight, we work for that crown of righteousness, but we trust God that he will award on that day. So whatever you have to give up now, not only is the crown of more value and worth it to give up those things, but also the, the difficulty and the inward struggle that we feel when we do feel pulled, know that it's always worth giving up that pursuit or at least distancing yourself from it to some degree for the sake of being committed to the Lord. Because one day, if we have loved his appearing, if that is what we are waiting for, longing for, working for, and not something else that is temporary, well, he will award us with that crown because he's the righteous judge. Again, it doesn't make all these things around us sinful. Some things are. But what it means is that we need to keep things in perspective. And I, I thought about this because of everything going on over the last six months. I mean, it, it really seems like it's been a couple of years now. But I mean, it's only been six or seven months, I guess. I mean, some people have like the, how many weeks they've been working remote. They keep posting that on Facebook and things like that. And I mean, that number just jumped up all of a sudden. I was just like, wow, it's been that long. It's been a long time. And there are a lot of people that are hurting, a lot of people that their hearts are being engaged in different things. And I just want to make sure that we are first and foremost making sure our hearts are with the Lord and not getting entangled in civilian pursuits. There are things worth fighting for and there are things worth focusing on. And we need to do that. Just keep it in perspective. Make sure that we're not being drawn away from the Lord, being drawn away from each other. I have a lot of confidence in our group. I don't, I don't think we really have struggled with being divided among ourselves. I'm very thankful for that. But in the next couple months, let's just keep those things in mind. Let's be purposed to do the same thing. Some people, there's a, this is going to be silly probably for some of you, but there's a saying that some people use, I guess it's a younger people saying, but I don't know where I fit in that category because I feel silly saying it. So maybe I'm not that young anymore, but like when people want to make someone feel bad about something, they'll say like, keep that same energy, right? They'll be like, Hey, okay. You acted this way behind my back. Now you're in front of me. Keep that same energy. Well, let's flip that and think about that in a good way. The commitment we've made to each other and to the Lord, no matter what comes up in life, let's keep that same energy. Let's be devoted uh, from now until the rest of this year. And then on into 2021. We're going to have a song that we use as a uh, song of encouragement. If you do need to talk about some things you've been struggling with, we're very open and we want to talk with you about those things, whether that's privately or if you need to, some help with some things now in prayers publicly, we want to do that. But let that be made known as we stand and as we sing. 612, blessed are they.